welcome to Talking Migration. I'm Clara Sandlin and Talking Migration is supported by the University of Manchester. Every year, people die trying to reach safety and a better future in a different country. But how many and who they are has been mostly unknown. The Missing Migrants Project, run by the International Organization for Migration, IOM, has therefore started to collect data on who the people are and who have lost their lives while migrating. Katie Eden is a project officer at the Missing Migrants Project, and she joined me to tell us more about missing migrants and the dangers of irregular migration. I started by asking Katie Eden to give an overview of the Missing Migrants Project. So uh, the Missing Migrants Project is run by IOM, the International Organization for Migration. And uh, it started in 2014 and was really motivated by um, basically the two shipwrecks that happened off the coast of Lampedusa in October of 2013, when over 360 people died. And the idea was that we should start keeping track of these incidents um, instead of them being passing kind of political statements and, and stories in the news that we should be able to systematically document these and not only in the Mediterranean, but in the whole world, whenever someone goes missing or dies uh, in the course of their migration journeys. Um, so yeah, the idea was to show kind of scope and historical reference for this issue and, and basically the need for safer migration channels. Um, of course, it's, it's it started off as kind of seemingly a simple exercise and has become a lot more complex since then. Um, but yeah, basically, essentially what we do is, is we try to record um, whenever these incidents happen around the world. Um, and unfortunately, it very much continues since 2014. There's still um, cases every single day of people dying or disappearing in around the world in the course of migration to another country. Um, since 2014, we've recorded um, over 40,000 people who have died during migration. Um, and now, uh, yeah, I should mention though that we actually use quite a narrow definition um, when we talk about missing migrants and, and who we record uh, or what we record. Um, so when we say missing migrants, yeah, we really mean people who are confirmed to have died or who have gone missing and are likely to have died. And that means often people who were migrating uh, at sea. So they went missing at sea and, and likely will never be recovered, but you can't verify um, what happened to them. So um, yeah, just to be clear, um, we, we don't record in these numbers um, just missing persons reports where there's no um, clear uh, clarification of what happened to them. We don't record um, deaths or disappearances that are more generally related to kind of exploitation or a regular migration status in a country of destination. So once people are already settled, we also don't include in their um, deaths in, in detention. Um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, we, we have a we have a website where we have all of these data. Um, it's actually it's open access data and free to download. It's anonymous, um, but yeah, it is all there, um, and we really encourage um, interested public and of course policymakers to take a look. Actually, our website is going to have a big overhaul in in um, well in the next few months, which we're quite excited about. Um, it's going to hopefully have much more of a human face to it than it already has now. And it's going to actually 
also include information for families of the missing um, and what they can do if they're looking for a missing loved one. Um, yeah, Missing Migrants Project, we also, I mean, besides the data collection, we also publish analytical reports on the issues of migrant deaths and disappearances um, on regional themes, um, issues around identification, the impacts and challenges faced by family members. Um, and yeah, and also um, last year, the Missing Migrant Migrants Project data um, became the basis of reporting for the Sustainable Development Goal 10.7.3, which is, um, yeah, quite a great impact for us and the team that's been working on the project for several years. Um, so it, it is the basis for reporting on this SDG, which is called the number of people who died or disappeared in the process of migration to an international destination. Um, so yeah, the hope is that we continue to improve the data and therefore um, continue to be able to report on that. All again, with the purpose of, of um, bringing to attention the issue of the need for safer migration. I've been on your website to, um, uh, in my research and um, <clears throat> I think it's, al it's already quite accessible. It's really quite useful how you can access the data. Um, yeah. But I was just wondering, you said you have quite a narrow definition. Do you, do, you, do you think that means that your data is quite conservative in terms of like the reality is that there are more people probably? Yes, definitely. So, well, um, first of all, even within our narrow definition, um, yeah, there's many data challenges and, and still within the narrow definition, our, our data we'd say is still an undercount of the number of people who die or go missing um, on international migration journeys. But um, yes, of course, our data does not encompass the greater issues um, surrounding so-called the issue of missing migrants because um, you know missing migrants is also about looking from the family's perspective and who is missed and, and um, you know, and them not having answers and, um, so, yeah, it also can, I mean, it encompasses people who also, you know, may be sending detention somewhere and their families just don't know where they are or what happened to them and they have no way of communicating. So that, I mean, yeah, there's lots of different um, ideas of missing migrants and there's other efforts to collect information about um, missing migrants that definitely uses a wider definition, not only of um yeah, the missing, but also um, who counts in, in deaths. So for example, um, there's other efforts that count people who have already arrived in their destination country and also people who have died in detention. Um, yeah, which we, which we don't um, cover in our public database. Okay. Um, and what would you say are the main methodological challenges? I can imagine there's quite a few. Yes, <laughs> uh, there are many methodological challenges um, collecting this data. So first of all, we always say that um, mentioned data on deaths of 40,000 people, but we know that's still really an undercount um, because of all the challenges. So first of all, I mean, no country, uh, state government systematically collects this data. Um, and so therefore we depend on a combination of many other sources and information um, from um, testimonies of, of migrants and survivors uh, of, of shipwrecks, for example, 
to um, smaller and local NGOs and, and other international organizations. Um, and then other specific government actors, like, for example, Coast Guards and, and forensic offices and sometimes, um, um, yeah, sometimes police, uh, police officers and so on. And of course, also media, traditional and social media. Um, but yeah, of course, all of these uh, can be quite localized and we're trying to look at the, the global level. So it really depends on um, yeah, the, the region and the, and the migration route and the context that we're looking at, um, and then trying to bring together as many um, kind of uh, yeah, quality resources and, and sources of data that we can find. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, we, I mean, we are based at, uh, Missing Migrants Project is based at IOM's data center, JimDAC. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's broadly under, uh, yeah, the topic of migration data, actually. But I mean, I always think, I mean, data is, is also so much about people and the partnerships that, that go into um, bringing that information and data together. Um, because so much is unknown. Um, so, yeah, so first, first of the challenges is that the information is so disparate and scattered and often very local and focused. So we need to um, whenever we know what, find out about an incident, we need to zero in on what kind of information can we find. Um, a lot of times that information, for example, if it's based on a crisis or a specific incident, um, there's not a lot of follow-up reporting. Um, a lot, maybe an estimate is made at the beginning, but then, um, yeah, there's, we don't find out uh, any more after, especially about the identities of people involved, which can be really hard. I mean, First and foremost, I mean, when we say we're, we're um, collecting information on deaths during migration, it's, it's, I mean, we collect, we would record a death during migration in any sense, but I mean, in reality, we're collecting it. Uh, these, these incidents, I should say, are, are people who have died um, on so-called irregular migration routes, which means, you know, they don't have they don't meet the requirements of states to, you know, pass through regular border checks and um, to enter and migrate um, legally. So therefore, they're taking these other migration routes, which are, you know, fundamentally about trying to avoid detection by authorities. And therefore, um, when people, first of all, that also means taking on a lot of risk to life often. But it also means that people are often traveling through remote areas um, in dangerous conditions, for example, uh, across sea, um, across water, and and therefore, you know, I mean, literally, we're talking like remains are not found often. So therefore, it's really hard to, um, yeah, for that information to, um, yeah, travel. Um, there's also just low levels of reporting. Um, again, because of the context of irregular migration, and people um, are often dealing maybe with smugglers. Um, or, I mean, or are fearful of reporting to police about, for example, fellow travelers going missing or dying. Um, they might not even know how to go about doing that. Um, so, and even families who know, who do have confirmation or, or likely um, know that their family member went missing or died, they also, um, we found, uh, often don't report as well to public authorities um, because they're fearful. Um, 
Yeah. So again, it's, it's, um, we do what we can. We're always trying to improve the data and the different sources that we have. Um, but we know that again, it's still an undercount. We also know that our data is definitely biased towards the sources available. So in other words, there's much more media focus and reporting on the Mediterranean. And even though we do believe that, you know, it is likely the most deadliest um, migration route in the world, um, it is still, um, yeah, I mean, there's still under-reporting in other regions. So um, we know the data reflect that. Yeah, that brings me on to the next question, which is we do, especially in Europe, we do mostly hear about the Mediterranean, but what other routes have you found are particularly dangerous? Yeah, besides the Mediterranean, there are many other um, very dangerous migration routes that people take um, worldwide. Again, yeah, Missing Migrants Project does try and, well, yes, we track um, deaths and disappearances on migration routes on the whole world. So, I mean, um, yeah, kind of just moving across the world, so maybe starting in the Americas, of course, um, the U.S.-Mexico border continues to be consistently very deadly. Um, hundreds of people die a, a year trying to cross the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, migration through Mexico and, and even further down um, through the Darien Gap, which is between Colombia and Panama, um, an area of jungle there, um, has also proved to be very dangerous for migrants um, in the past few years. Um, yeah, for many different reasons. Um, in the Caribbean, I mean, there's also dangerous maritime routes. I mean, historically, the route from Cuba to Florida was was quite deadly. People trying to go by boats, small boats. Um, but more recently, we've really seen um, an increase of boats and therefore uh, uh, with people and, and therefore, unfortunately, also people dying, trying to leave uh, Venezuela for Aruba, uh, Bonaire, Trinidad and Tobago. Um, in Africa, we know that there's many more people dying trying to cross the Sahara Desert than we have recorded. Again, it's it's about just a lack of, of data and information source. I mean, there's many anecdotal reports, but it's really hard for us to uh, confirm those and therefore um, record them. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, um, in Africa, the route across the Atlantic to the Canary Islands is also extremely dangerous and there's been a large increase in people taking that route. And again, therefore an increase in deaths on that route, especially in 2020, in the, in the second half of 2020 really, and it's continuing now. Um, yeah, in 2020 alone, 840 people died trying to cross from the west coast of Africa to the Canary Islands. Uh, in Asia, um, the border of, of people trying to cross the borders from Iran into Turkey, um, we've recorded many deaths there and we think that there's a lot more that we don't know about. Again, it's, it's really um, hard to get information from that route. Also, um, further east in Asia, I mean, also the Bay of Bengal and the Andaman Sea. So this is people from um, Bangladesh, but mostly Rohingya trying to travel to Southeast Asia. Um, again, for, for better opportunities and, and um, safety and, and so on. And they're often in the hands of, of smugglers and um, 
Yes, we well, there's many cases over the last years of people dying either on board because of the conditions or um, drowning when they're trying to leave the boats. Um, often they've had to stay at sea for um, days, weeks, months um, as well, which has contributed to, of course, the danger of these routes. And, and finally, I would also like to highlight that, I mean, Europe, on the continent of Europe, there's also several dangerous migration routes, I guess we'll say, um, as people try to make their way around the continent. Of course, European citizens can freely move around, but people who don't have legal status um, still have a very um, hard time um, as they try to avoid detection and therefore take on a lot of risks. So um, the Western Balkans, um, uh, as people try to make their way um, north um, is still very dangerous. We, we record many tens of deaths there still every year. Um, the land, well, it's called the land border, but it's really, um, you know, it's a big river crossing from, from Turkey into Greece and, and Bulgaria across the Evros River and the Merik River um, is also very dangerous. And we've seen an increase there as there's been a decrease in the Eastern Mediterranean crossing. And uh, yeah, and finally, I mean, I would also like to highlight the English Channel as, as continuing to be a very dangerous crossing for people. Um, and Missing Migrants Project has recorded 154 deaths um, in the English Channel or people about to leave um, trying to cross the English Channel since 2014. And the Institute for Race Relations in the UK says that about another 150 have died uh, since 1999 on this route trying to reach the UK. So yeah, these are all just indications um, based on our data that we've recorded uh, in the last seven years. Right. And can you see any patterns since you started in terms of have some routes become more dangerous um, or less dangerous? Uh, yes, there are definitely some patterns. It depends on the region and the route, uh, of course, that we're talking about. Um, but yeah, we do see differences and changes in you know, migration routes because, and, and therefore, I mean, we see changes in increases of people traveling on migration routes and therefore often, and dangerous migration routes and therefore often deaths. Um, I, I would say I, I, in the time that I've worked on this project and on this topic, I haven't seen any of these existing routes become more safer or sustainably safer it, it's more that that just more people can, uh, take them and therefore more people are unfortunately dying. Um, I mean, we know that migration is used by people as a mitigation strategy is often in response to a crisis, um, whether it's a slow moving crisis or otherwise, um, rather than the crisis itself. Um, for example, um, we've seen huge numbers of Venezuelans and Rohingya being displaced during conflict and crisis, and they've been forced to take unsafe migration journeys over the past few years. And therefore, there's been many more of people, um, Venezuelans and Rohingya, dying trying to reach other countries, and our data reflect that. Um, yeah, maybe two other examples are... Um, yeah, another one, I mean, I already mentioned it, but um, yeah, the increase of people taking the Atlantic route to the Canary Islands last year and, and continuing this year is really concerning. Um, there's been a huge increase. Um, people believe that it's, I mean, um, 
yeah, due to COVID-induced economic challenges in the region where, where people have really um, experienced even in even harder uh, economic situations than ever before because of COVID. So feeling that they're forced to leave because they have no other options. And then also, of course, into environmental changes and increased border restrictions on former routes um, more north and in the Mediterranean. And um, yeah, we're seeing also a lot more younger people and women who are pregnant or with younger children also taking that route. All right. Well, that was going to be my next question as well, whether you, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, who can you say anything about who goes missing or who, um, who dies Mm -hmm. trying to migrate? Is any particular demographic who, who's more at risk? Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, this depends again on the region and the route we're talking about in the world, but I can say in general, um, women, children and men are among the records of deaths during migration in all parts of the world in general. Um, And also I would like to highlight that again, because of our data challenges, it means that, you know, we don't, we don't even have, I mean, there's a lot of missing information about Um, the identities of the people. Um, Whenever possible, um, we try and collect that information. But, um, you know, sometimes, again, depending on uh, the information available, it it might just be the numbers and the location and the date. Um, In the best case scenario, we can fill in the information on, um, yeah, sex, age, nationality, and identity, but often that is left blank. So, yeah, this information that I'm about to say is, is really based on partial information that we have where we can confirm um, at least uh, sets of, of the people in our records. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I say in some cases, I mean, we know that in some cases women have greater difficulty accessing regular migration channels because they tend to have unequal access to rights or resources or information, and therefore, um, yeah, they're forced to also take regular channels um and therefore i mean yeah they're not i mean there is some there is some um research showing again during uh, like because of cultural norms and social norms i mean uh sometimes women are put in more risky situations when they're traveling irregularly i mean literally you know regarding position on the boat um that they're traveling and so on which can people put people's lives more at risk um but um yeah essentially i mean we also know that women we, women on their routes in general are exposed to many other risks because i mean um vulnerability is also comes together with other gender issues such as race and ethnicity nationality, religion, I mean, sexual orientation, um, pregnancy, and so on. So they can face more risks already because um, all these vulnerabilities are interacting. Um, um, yeah, but unfortunately, we also know that information on deaths and w- of women and children are highly dependent on the identification of remains. Um, and this is because, again, social norms and repeat in, in especially in, in media reflected that assuming migrants on these, these journeys are often men, so they don't specify the sex. Um, and therefore, we can't confirm if they're women or men often. Um, and therefore, we have to leave that factor or that, that indicator unknown. Um, 
so yeah, what I'm trying to say for is therefore that is is likely that that is a higher proportion of women and children um, in our data that are that are not included um, and that we know of. Right. You mentioned before that um, the kind of main driving factor in why more people um, end up dying in a particular route is mainly um, the particular crises that um, they are. Um, fleeing or moving from uh, but is it also possible to say anything about the impact on border policies on migrant deaths mm -hmm. I mean unfortunately we see that often border enforcement pushes people who are migrating um, to take even more dangerous routes um, for example one example one example that's often talked about is the US Mexico border and how um, the enforcements and the barriers along that border have, have literally pushed people into the more remote territories where they're more exposed to, I mean, the in, in environmental dangers um, of extreme heat and um, dehydration and so on, and potentially getting lost as they're trying to cross. And therefore that puts them really in more risk up to their lives. Um, yes, I mean... I mean, but again, um, the data on migration routes is, is or uh, sorry, the data on migration deaths is really, and the, and the incidence of migration deaths um, is really tied to the number of people traveling as well. And so we see, I mean, we see how, the, how routes are obviously uh, also impacted by border enforcement. Um, for example, uh, Recently, a lot of there's been so many there's been a lot of pushbacks on the Greek and Turkish border, um, and specifically in the Eastern Mediterranean. And so there we see often, um, but there's a lot more people coming across that Evros Merik river boarding a border, sorry, the land border between Greece and and Turkey instead, and and more people are dying there than we ever saw before. Um, yeah, I mean, Missing Migrants Project data really is limited, as I kind of mentioned before, by the fact that, I mean, we really look at the worst indication of, of abuses, right, that people are facing. So we don't pick it, pick up on, I mean, other forms of abuse and, and that don't lead to death, but which are, you know, also very, very worthy of um, attention and addressing. Um, so, yeah, people are pushed back because of... Um, hardline immigration or border enforcement. Um, but then we don't know what happens to them when they have to stay, um, you know, and they can't move the inability to uh, yeah, be mobile. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know that my, uh, in general, the reality of humanity uh, as our whole human history shows um, is that people will continue to migrate. Um, and I don't know, perhaps it's difficult to say, but what, um, or, or perhaps it's obvious, but um, in your view, what, what should sort of the main policy priorities be to reduce or, or eliminate migrant deaths? I suppose mm -hmm. there should really be a sort of zero tolerance policy. Yes, one, even one death is, is too many, um, really. In the short term, I would say the, the policy priorities should be search and rescue in places where there are people dying every single day um, trying to reach other countries. Um, there should be search and rescue rather than criminalization. Um, 
and, and that focus. Um, more attention is needed on the circumstances in which people go missing and die, and therefore to address literally those circumstances, um, including perhaps even protection for people on these routes who are not just going to stop taking them all of a sudden. Um, in the longer term, I mean, yeah, it, the, the issue is safer migration for all and not just for people from rich countries or who have, you know, are highly educated um, because they've had the privilege of that. Um, so people, yeah, people will continue to migrate for better lives and, and safety and out of necessity, and they shouldn't be punished for that. Um, I'd also say in the medium term, there really needs to be resources and systems to help identify remains that are found and to help families who are missing family members, um, because there are tens of thousands of people around the world who do not know what happened to their family members who left to migrate and they haven't heard from them again. And that is a huge global tragedy that gets uh, very little attention as well. So there needs to also be um, more policy attention um, and priority given to help coordinate um, efforts to identify uh, and help trace people who have gone missing. Is there anything you want to add? Yeah, so I'll tell you a bit about the research that we've carried out kind of under the umbrella of the Missing Migrants Project in the past two years. Um, it's, it's, oh, it was with families of missing migrants, qualitative research carried out with families of missing migrants, um, uh, families in the very broad sense um, in Ethiopia, Zimbabwe, uh, Spain, and UK. Um, and the idea was to really hear from families directly about their experiences in trying to search for their loved ones and the challenges and the barriers they come up against. Um, and then therefore, you know, what could help them um, improve the situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the idea is that um, we tried to look at countries and found very easily, including in the UK, many people who are missing family members. So it's not just people who are kind of in so-called countries of origin um, who are, are, are missing loved ones. It's, it's very much people in, in all countries, whether of origin or are in themselves migrants in situations of transit or destination. Um, and essentially we found that in all, all of these situations, there's very little, very to little, um, support for these families, um, to both search the literal search, um, for their missing family members, um, but also for the greater impacts. And I mean, the research really showed, which is, which really goes along with other research that's been taken on families who have missing people in, in other contexts, for example, conflict and environmental disasters, that there's a lot of other impacts um, besides uh, just the search. I mean, for example, legal and financial impacts besides, of course, the monumental emotional and, and psychological impacts as well of not knowing where your family member is. So, um, yeah, we found, for example, in, in Spain and the UK, of course, the people that we talk to who are missing family members are migrants themselves and are often often already living in very, have very serious socioeconomic uh, issues themselves. Um, so therefore, they have trouble finding the time and the financial uh, security to search for their loved one, even though they often have family members, maybe in other countries back at home, or in, in the countries where they came from, who are relying on them 
to help with the search. Um, you know, they, that we have, um, for example, um, a family that we've been in contact with who's uh, originally from Afghanistan in the UK and they're, um, we're expecting um, a cousin to reach them and they, they never heard from the cousin. And, and now we've actually tracked down likely the incident where the cousin um, would have died. Um, anyways, and the parents back in Afghanistan of this young man, um, of course, were, had no idea what to do. They were at their wits end. And so they contacted um, yeah, the, the extended family members in the UK trying to find out what would happen to them and really relied on them to, you know, contact, for example, authorities and so on. Um, but yeah, basically they found that they didn't know where to start because if you've never looked for a, a missing family member, you don't even know the country where they went missing. Um, how do you even start? So um, yeah, basically they, uh, they were very persistent in trying to... Um, I mean, they were just lucky because they were able to, you know, contact many different organizations and um, one person led to the other, led to the other, led to the other, um, you know. So in the end, I mean, so-called maybe a good result is that, I mean, it's not a good result, but it, it does, um, having answers, I mean, does put people's minds and hearts at, at ease and on some level because they're able to mourn. Um, but yeah, they were able to find out what happened to him, but many others are not because they just, there's no pathways to find out. Um, and there's not enough coordination across borders, whether with authorities or whoever, um, to really help. Um, I should mention that the main effort to trace migrants around the world is run by the ICRC and they have a, a program called Restoring Family Links. Um, and at this, this, I mean, this, project has actually um, started as tracing for you know, other contexts related to conflict and, and other conflicts of people going missing, but they've started taking on um, cases of people who go missing during migration. But they, I mean, it's, it's a program that's, um, yeah, I mean, it's not big enough. There's much, much more need uh, than they can handle, essentially. And um, yeah, so far what we've been finding a bit is that, um, yeah, people still don't know about them or hesitant to contact them um, for various re reasons. And so usually they try and find information through their informal networks, whether through um, diaspora or um, religious groups or um, and so on. But anyways, um, yes, we did this research in the past few years really uh, yeah, to highlight and raise awareness that um, not only are the the people are there people behind each one of our numbers in the Missing Migrants Project data, but it's also the family that they leave behind, um, the family and the community. I mean, every person is is um, you know connected here to a network of of loved ones and, and a community, and they are wondering what happened to them. So um, we need to start thinking about those side that side of the impact of of the issue of missing migrants as well. To read more about the Missing Migrants Project, you can just follow the link in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening.